Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and today I chat with Brittany Cox. She's pretty talented. I mean, she's only the voice of Nancy Drew, your latest Sonic commercials. Oh, and she and her husband produce unbelievable voiceover demos. By the way, if you've liked listening to this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, share with your friends, and give me a hug if you see me in person. Let's do this. What are some things that you've worked on that you're super proud of? Things I'm really proud of that I worked on. Uh, So I am the voice of Nancy Drew for a Nancy Drew video game series. So that was super cool. And I've also worked on Fire Emblem Three Houses. I do the voice of Ingrid. And a thing I just did, which was really fun, was I'm one of the voices for a new Sonic drive-in campaign, which was pretty cool. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, And I saw some uh, of your Nancy Drew voiceover and that was awesome. Is it, do you approach it any differently when you're the focal point of a game like that? Um, The only thing that, like from an acting standpoint, it's been kind of the same that I do with any other character. Um, but it's been crazy with this cause it's been more on the back end stuff. Like I've been having to learn how to, um, talk with fans and how to deal mm. with, uh, promotional stuff. And there's been a lot more work on that end, um, from business perspective with the, uh, her interactive team who do the video game stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's going to be a whole series and it's been really cool because I've been able to connect with, um, the woman who plays Nancy Drew on the CW show. Okay. Um, so that's been really cool. So it's like the two Nancys are chatting. So that's been neat. Um, but yeah, so that's been kind of weird. I've never been in anything that's been like that, uh, big before. Right. How has that adjustment been for you? Because, you know, I'm sure voice actors think about how would that life be when when you've worked on something where there's a big fan base? Um, Is it more or less what you expected or how do you approach it? Yeah, it's it's I've been having to set a lot more boundaries than I expected Mm. because, uh, you know, my DMs were like going crazy and I'm like, who are all these people? Um, I mean, everybody's been super nice and super supportive. Like it hasn't been, you know, a negative experience, but I just started feeling really overwhelmed by all the messages and stuff. And so being like, it's okay. I don't have to respond immediately. It's going to be fine. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've heard other actors who've worked on things that are well known by fans that obviously want to interact with the fans and and keep them happy but yeah. at the same time you got to strike a balance so a lot of people usually just um like a comment you know or a tweet and not necessarily respond because once you respond that conversation might never end yeah it's tough it's a it's a tough balancing act it's a weird experience for a human being yeah it's it's just weird and uh, there's so many people and everybody has their own experience and their own thing so it's like overwhelm of information so mm-hmm. um yeah but it's been cool nice yeah i had a much smaller scale experience with because i could finally talk about the role that i did on final fantasy <gasps> which VII was remake so cool <laughs> i was so excited for you i was like yes because you know we've been in we've been in workshops i feel like forever now mm-hmm. and i'm like oh, yay <laughs> he's so good that's so great that's so sweet of you and you know it's it's crazy because there's i didn't play a big role but it was a ton of fun and even just that little role i've 
all of a sudden got a little chunk of people following me on Twitter, mm -hmm. and I have to think about the fact that I'm really bad at Twitter now. <laughs> it's I'm like... <laughs> terrible, man. I'm so yeah. bad. Like all, I'm like, I just give up. I'm just gonna retweet stuff. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm worried that these people are like following me, looking for some Final Fantasy tidbits, and like I'm you know, tweeting Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Lakers, to like, like my dog photo. It's like, <laughs> I'm not sure that's the content they're looking for. But, oh, I bumped into Ben at one of my recordings too, Ben Pronsky. Oh, yeah. I love Ben. Yeah. Little did I know we were literally part of the same trio of of dum-dums oh that my game. god and i watched the scene uh because i think ben posted up a clip of the three of you guys and i was mm. like this is literally the best thing i've watched all week it was so funny that's very kind of you <laughs> the same with you honestly with with nancy drew i mean that's a lot of fun to watch and it's cool that you've got some fun stuff going on in multiple platforms you know with mm. sonic with video games um with Nancy Drew and and some anime as well, right? Yeah, that anime has been a new thing for me. Uh, so that's been really cool. And then I actually just did my first animation pilot recently, which was crazy. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, so, you know, it's that hope of like, please get picked up. Please right. get picked up. <laughs> was that an ensemble recording? No. Um, so this one, they didn't do an ensemble record, which I was like, Okay, that's still cool. I'm still doing the animated thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've been talking to people, and it's like uh, fewer places are doing ensemble records. Like Disney doesn't really do them anymore, which I was surprised right. to find out. Yeah, it's. I, I hope it doesn't go away permanently because it's mm -hmm. a lot of fun doing those records, and it see, feels like animation's the one avenue where that still happens, yeah. albeit less. But yeah, that's really cool. Well, congrats with that. And Thanks. Sure. Because you came from the animation world, right? Yeah. So I came from the production side of animation. Yeah. I, I worked as a PA and, and, and did a bunch of stuff for Titmouse and I worked on a show Mouse. called. Oh, yeah. They're, they're a lot of fun there. And um, there was a show called Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja. Mm -hmm. I think I may have talked about this, but I weaseled my way into a voiceover recording as an intern. And then I saw Kevin Michael Richardson and John DiMaggio. And um, yeah, it's... It's like a master class. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And at that point, I didn't know I'd want to pursue being a voice actor. I didn't think of it as a career, but... On the one hand, I was intimidated because I was like, wow, these guys are phenomenal. But on the other, I was like, this is like I do some of these things myself and I would love to do it as a career. Yeah. It looked amazing. Yeah. Well, you're so um, good at it that it's like not a surprise that you're like picking up bigger things. And I can't wait to celebrate you the, the new <laughs> NDA project. And, and the same with you. I, again, with the Voice Actors Network, everybody's always so talented. So mm -hmm. it's just so much fun to see people succeed outside of the booth in the classroom and also inside and get super inspired by them. Oh, for sure. But yeah, so the reason I asked about um, some things you've worked on is so in case anybody listening isn't familiar with you, they know like mm. kind of what level of experience you're at and that you're super awesome and talented. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> now that we got that out of the way. Get one rid thing of the boring that... stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's super fun. But I'm curious, where did you grow up? Where did you get started? So I'm I'm originally from North Carolina, and um, it's so funny because I never would have thought I would have been a full time actor, like mm. ever, because um, I started on the production end too. Um, so I oh. was a um, theater technician and stage manager. 
um, in college. And that was kind of my track. I was like, okay, I'm really good at organizing things. So I'm, um, and I love theater. So I'm going to do that. Um, so I ran a theater company, a regional theater company and did all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I moved to Seattle. Um, my husband and now husband and I moved to Seattle and then I started doing more, uh, more theater and then started doing film. And I was like, oh, I'm never stage managing again. Film is the way to go. Oh my God. I love film. It's great. And I get paid other than a stipend. What? Uh, and then I just kind of stumbled into voiceover and that was even more fun. And it's been like seven years since my first voiceover job, which is crazy. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of people who start out in theater might have they might have a judgment towards film because it's mm. not the same as performing in front of a live audience. For and, sure. And, you know, there's a lot of waiting around and stuff. But oh, did yeah. you find any of that to be the case or what did you love about it? I what I loved about film. Uh, yeah, the waiting's hard. Oh, my God. The mm-hmm. waiting is so hard. And it's like <laughs> not getting um, even if you're in a really funny scene. Uh, people on set can't laugh because they'll ruin the take. So that was an adjustment for sure. But I loved going to different locations. That was always super fun because I would get to go to places you could never go. Um, Like I was on this really cool, I shot a um, supernatural um, superhero type of film in a construction site Um, that was in the basement of this really cool thing with this crazy elevator. And I would never have been able to go there without being in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was really fun. And I, I loved the spontaneity of film because when you're doing a take, you, you don't rehearse really much at all with the other actors. You just, they're like, okay, we run through the lines once. Okay. Now go do the scene stand here. Um, but there's so much fun and spontaneity. So it always, every take always felt new where in theater, you know, you've rehearsed for a month or so you kind of know all the things there's, you can still play and do things, but you kind of know what's going to happen. Right. Um, so I always found that really fun, that level of spontaneity. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. One thing that I love about film too is for me personally, I like the sort of blue collar feel about it. Like it's yeah. it's a team of just people trying to, it's like construction. Like, all right, this is the <laughs> shot we need. Let's move on. Let's go. Some people don't like that, but I, I love that aspect of it, you know, because it, it's artistic without the pretentiousness that sometimes can come with artistic endeavors, <laughs> well, yeah. which I love. <laughs> well, it's that thing of like, you know, we all think that what we do is the best and anyone else is selling out. And I'm like, I like getting paid for what I do. And <laughs> with film, that happened more than with theater. <laughs> right. And again, like you said, it takes you to different places and, yeah. and sets and whatnot. Um, so how did you go? Well, first of all, why did you decide to go from North Carolina, where the unofficial governor is Michael Jordan? That's that's what I... <laughs> it's, so that's... <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Oh, man. Uh which Love yeah, him. I want <laughs> Yeah, who doesn't? But how did you end up going from North Carolina to Seattle? That doesn't seem like the first step for somebody trying to pursue this type of career. Yeah, so um I was a double major, so I was a theater major and a history major. Um because okay. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I mm-hmm. like these things. Let's do that. Yeah. I knew I wanted to leave North Carolina cuz I wanted to get more experience and like be in a bigger area to see if I would Mm -hmm. like that because I had lived in North Carolina my whole life. And so my history teacher 
was like, oh, Seattle's a really great place because they have a lot of books and a lot of history there. And that's a really interesting place. It just, it was a casual conversation. And I was like, huh, okay. And then in my theater department, um, we had a senior seminar type thing where they were talking about the different types of markets. And I knew I didn't want to go to LA or New York because I was like, I ain't ready for that. They will mm -hmm. chew me up and spit me out. And <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. Um, I don't even know if I want to do this. And um, right. Seattle kept coming up as like a really cool market because there was some theater, there was some film, there was a lot of things to do. And it, at the time, it was super affordable to move there. That is not the case anymore. <laughs> uh, right. It's just as expensive as LA, come to find mm -hmm. out. Um, and so I was like, okay. And Perk, it's super far away from North Carolina. So it's like a totally different world. I don't know right. anyone there. So it's like a total fresh start and just to try something completely new. Um, mm -hmm. And it ended up working out great. Like I really liked Seattle. The gray was really hard to get used to though. I see. Yeah, yeah. I came from living on the beach to living in a city that's like constantly gray. And I was like, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Did it get to a point where you start to doubt your decision, the weather alone, or was yeah. it just, you know, an inconvenience? Um, the weather got harder the longer I was there. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's really one of the main reasons why we moved to LA. Cause I was like, I can't deal with, I need sun, please God. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, when we first moved there, I was so, it was, it was tough. I was like, this was the worst decision ever. Oh my God. It's mm -hmm. so different. It's so, blah. I don't know anyone. Um, you know, all those things when you move to a new place. Right. Uh, but after about a year or so, I started finding my people and finding my tribe and got the lay of the land. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. This is great. Learning a lot, <laughs> meeting cool people. <laughs> right. And like you said, that's par for course to, to have that experience when you're doing something totally new. Yeah. And it's brave of you to want, I mean, you went from A to Z kind of in terms of distance from your hometown and the, the weather and just not knowing anybody there. Like, I mean, I grew up in Orange County, so uh, going to L.A. was was not as brave a move as <laughs> well, as it is for for people like yourself. I mean, like going from Orange County to L.A., I mean, you already live in such a cool place. You're from a cool place. I mean, I grew up on a farm and, you know, it was... See, to me, that's way cooler than the place I grew up. <laughs> I, I, guess it's, I guess it's that thing of like, we always want what we haven't had right it's the grass right. is greener on the other side so totally and i mean i don't know if if this is true about your um in orange county like the people you grew up around but in north carolina a lot of people just kind of stay and you just end mm. up doing the same thing that you've done for the past 30 years with the same right. people and the same bars and i was never into that i wanted something different yeah i could relate to that um, I, there's a mix of both in orange county some people stay for a while so you mentioned that you you went to Seattle with your now husband. Mm -hmm. Did he know what he wanted to do at that point? So he's going to kill me for saying this, but um, <laughs> so when, because uh, we met in college and started dating in college. And um, so at the time he was a dancer. Um, so he was, uh, he was trained in ballet and modern um, and then became a hip hop choreographer and dancer. And he was in a couple of um, hip hop groups. Cool. Uh which is cool. And so when we moved to Seattle, we were like, oh, they have a really great dance scene there. Um, I don't know if you remember that show, um, America's Best Dance Crew. Uh, yeah, I, I saw a couple episodes. Uh -huh. Oh, so we were big fans of that show. And a lot of those crews that we really liked were from Seattle. So we were like, oh, great. He can keep training and see if this is what he wants to do. We get up there and he gets into the dance scene and all that stuff. And then is like, 
nope, not into it. This is not for me. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So then he started kind of doing what you did with um, animation. He started PAing on set. Oh wow! And um, so he worked on a bunch of feature films with like Matthew Lillard and a bunch of other mm-hmm. people um, on a bunch of indie stuff and commercials, and ended up working in a recording studio. And found that that's what he really loves doing is working in a studio, which led him to composing. And so now that's what he does full time. And it was so great that he ended up in the studio because that's how I got into voiceover is I was just bringing him lunch one day and his boss was like, you're an actor, right? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, we just need you to do one line because we just need a girl. So just hop in the booth. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I did it. And they were like, you don't suck at this. And I was like, okay. I will look into this. (laughs) So it ended up working out great for both of us that, you know, we can work in the same industry, um, but do two completely different things, which is Mm -hmm. fun. Right. That's why it's so important to take action, to take that first step, because it's impossible to plan what your life is going to be, but you'll get closer to what you want it to be if you put yourself out there and try new things. Oh, for sure. I mean, like if you had told me when I was in college or even right after college that I was going to be a full time actor, I would have laughed in your face and been like, <laughs> no, that's mm-hmm. that's not a real thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you kind of stumbled upon voiceover mm-hmm. and, and they told you you were great. But how was it? They on said your I was end? OK. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> you did not I didn't suck. start that's... off great. I didn't. Suck. <laughs> OK. <laughs> But for yourself, what was that experience like? Did you know at that point, oh, this is amazing. Maybe I should pursue this. I had that moment of like, wow, this, I didn't even think this was a thing. Of course it's a job. Wow. Okay. So I started really, uh, I was like, I want to learn more about this. What does this actually entail? What does this turn into? And I started off in commercial and really digging into that and then started booking. Like, I mean, you know, I went for a year and a half without booking anything and sending in terrible auditions and not knowing what I was doing. Um, but I got better. Mm-hmm. And then I booked my first video game up in Seattle. It, I was doing voices for the when the Switch came out. They, they had that game called the One Two Switch, which shows you like how to use all the controls and stuff. And I got okay. that and I was like, oh, this is what I need to be doing. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, this is what I need to be doing. And so that kind of led to me wanting to come down to LA because I was like, this mm. is where the video games and animation stuff is. This is right. what I'm meant to do. Awesome. Yeah. You know, it, it's weird how it takes all those twists and turns. Totally. That's what makes it so fun though. So oh, yeah. It sounds like your first soiree into voiceover made you curious enough to, you know, try it out, submit auditions. Mm-hmm. But that Switch gig was the moment where you realized, oh, this, I want this as a career. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, um, that first video game was just like, yep, this is what I need to do. This fulfills everything that I love about acting. And it's just so much fun. That's awesome. Um, my first gig that I ever booked for the Seattle connection was actually for a radio ad for Starbucks. Um, and I had been auditioning like you, I had been auditioning for like a year and a half and sending probably very crappy stuff uh, myself, but not knowing it's crappy. Um, You're like, this is then... the best thing ever. I should book every <laughs> yeah, job. Exactly. By the way, that's a, I feel like a lot of people, and I recorded my first demo too soon also. Same. And I think the reason it's hard for people to hold off until they get better is at that time, what your gauge is for what's good and what's bad 
you don't realize isn't developed enough to know what truly is good or bad. So at that time for me, like I'm thinking, oh, like I can do this variety of sounds. It didn't register to me that, okay, well, these are kind of stereotypical characters. People have heard these and, and I need to focus on the acting. I just thought each one of these sounds like a totally different person. They'll love that. Oh my Um, God. No, same. You know, (laughs) going to my first voice actors network clinic, opened my eyes. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not ready. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I thought I knew right. I had worked. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. That's the tricky thing. Like it, it's like getting advice from your parents. Like no matter how good the advice is, sometimes you need to learn the hard way, unfortunately. Oh no, for sure. And you just don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the tricky thing about voiceover is a lot of people get into it thinking it's all about the voice when it's like, especially with commercial, but really they just want to know you. They just want to hear you and be like, who are you as a human speaking about my product? (laughs) Right. (laughs) hundred percent. And then you have to realize when the specs say we want like a John Krasinski type that they don't want an impression of John Krasinski. They just want somebody who's naturally casual and kind of dry humor like him. So you mentioned that it was your first voice actors network clinic that opened your eyes about that. When did you take that? Was it when Hope was around or? or No. So uh, Ben, yeah. So I've been in LA for two and a half years now. Okay. Going on three. Yeah. So still not very long. So I I found Voice Actors Network when I first moved down here. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I need to. And and he approved me, shockingly. Um, (laughs) I'm still like, Ben, why did you approve me? (laughs) Um, So I took... uh, Oh, I remember it was with Keith and Valerie Aram over at PCB and I get in the room and it's for video games and everybody starts going in and I was like, I'll wait, I'll feel it out. You know, I know video games (laughs) and everyone gets in and I was like, I just felt myself sink in a little more every time I was like, oh no, what did I do? Um, It was fine. Like I learned so much from that clinic and I, you know, it's been amazing watching all these people who have been professional voice actors for years and they work on things that I love watching. And I just Mm -hmm. have learned so much. And I feel like investing in training has made me so much of a, like, I'm a much better actor. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. You get better and you learn a lot from each workshop, but even if you're hearing things you've heard at other workshops, like mm-hmm. just getting that rep in in like a professional setting, especially if you haven't been booking for a while, yeah. it, it psychologically puts you in the mind frame of this is my profession and it mm-hmm. keeps you mentally prepared for the next gig. For sure. And like I know I've had a lot of coaches and a lot of casting directors who have said similar things in feedback to me. And for some reason, like it just took uh, Kal-El Bogdanov to say mm. the same thing, but somehow I heard it when he said it. And I was like, oh, right. I right. know, even though it's, he's not saying anything different than anybody else says, it just, for whatever reason, resonated with me. Exactly. And sometimes it takes that, that extra bit of training to get your mind to the point of recognizing the advice that you're being given. Like sure. an example for me was... We did the the workshop with Amanda Wyatt, yeah, which was amazing, especially because bomb man, yeah, yeah, she was great, and like we got to mess around with performance capture too, which is yeah. rare in a workshop setting. But I think it was like a, a military call out, like grenade or the standard call outs. But she made the the point to to say 
you don't necessarily have to be yelling or, or be amped up for these. Like the level of military experience of the character should dictate how calm and composed they are kind of. Mind blowing. Um, I was like, of course. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. So anyways, I'm curious to know what, how did you go from taking the Voice Actors Network classes to being a part of the Voice Actors Network team? <laughs> so um, I had been taking a few classes and I was like, oh my God, this, because I had taken other similar workshops at different other places, but there was something about the caliber of talent and the, uh, and Ben like running the workshop that just really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben put something, we followed each other on Facebook as we all do. And he posted on that he was looking for an assistant. And I was like, okay, I could use some extra cash because I didn't have a side job and we were still pretty new. Um, so I, I met with him and we like really hit it off as humans, but what he was looking for was not something I am necessarily great at. And he ended up hiring Stephanie Sutherland who, oh my God, love her. (laughs) love her. I was like, I can't even be mad at that. Like, yes, this is great. Um, but then he started doing, uh, the digital clinics and he was like, Brittany, this is where you, I think you would shine. And I was like, yeah, I I would love to make some extra cash and you know, I'm going to be taking these clinics anyway. So let me help however I can. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I helped him with the digital clinic stuff and that's kind of what I run. And then I help Stephanie as well. Um, so yeah, it's been really cool and it's been I love the community that Voice Actors Network has created. Like, I oh. really feel that these group of peoples that we see in on a regular basis at different clinics and things, like these are the next actors who are moving up, who are going to be like working all the time and be those, you know, one percenters. Right. And it's really cool to celebrate like people like you who are have grown so much and who are now like booking bigger and bigger and bigger things like it's so fun to celebrate definitely definitely yeah that's that's the thing that makes voice acting so great is the community is always it's not nearly as competitive as on camera or even things outside of entertainment (laughs) (laughs) everybody's always supportive of each other when when we get gigs and just proud to see people like yourself and everybody else at the voice actors network grow it's the best it feels like cheating as a career it really does No, for sure (laughs) i mean i in working in on-camera and theater, I have never had other women be like, you're perfect for this role. Let me send you the sides. Mm -hmm. Voiceover, it happens. I've done it. People have done it to me. Like, it's amazing because everyone's Mm -hmm. so genuine and very like, you know, if I get it, great, but you're also really great for this. So you should read on it as well if you haven't gotten it. Right. And I don't know if you're this way, but for me personally, I definitely have a very loud inner critic that takes a lot of work to like put aside and and trust my experience. But that's one of the things I love also about going to these workshops is you have people that understand your career around you that, mm-hmm. that you can trust if they say, oh, you did a great job with this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, has that ever been tough for you, the inner critic? Oh, God, yes. I'm always like, oh, that was so put on. Oh, I'm not as good as so-and-so or so-and-so. Like, I know so-and-so has this audition and they're going to crush it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's just so bad. But it, that's just my like crazy. I'm pre- it's probably all of our crazy. Oh, I for think sure. every actor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Because we I mean, we all want to work and we all want to do the mm-hmm. best that we can do. And I'm getting better about being like, it's fine. You do what you do. Mm-hmm. 
it's going to be fine. Just throw right. it out there. And I, I used to be really bad about like, I have to find the right way. Like, what are the casting directors actually looking for? What do they really want? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just being like, here's what I do. I think this is funny. We'll see if it works. Right. I'm getting better about playing more. Totally. Yeah. It sounds so simple, but that's the important thing about these auditions, especially mm-hmm. if it's supposed to be something comedic like animation. Like, oh, you know, sure. sometimes you can get lost so much in the analyzing, like who's the casting director is, what type of show it is, like how to get exactly what they want mm-hmm. instead of realizing, oh, this is like a character that farts or, you know, like, right. it's, it's just like, like, just have fun with a character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's this picture. So it has to sound like this. And it's like, right. no, it can, it can be whatever. I don't remember who said it, but they were like, if it makes you laugh, it's great. Exactly. And so I've been trying to be like, okay, does this take make me laugh? Great. I'm going to use it. I'm not going to yep. think too much about it. I'm just going to use it. <laughs> totally. Me too. For The key word is trying. It, it yeah. can still be a challenge, but just reminding yourself that that's all you can do really. Yeah. Um, it's a long game so, thing. Exactly. And that's another reason why it's so important to not rush into like a demo and mm-hmm. uh, because these are things that you don't really learn until you've just it's been slow churning, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, I had no idea that you produced demos. And then I saw your website and listened to a bunch that you um, produce and they genuinely sounded amazing. So Aww, thanks. of course, uh, first of all, what's it called? And how did you get into that? Uh, yeah, so I do. I produce demos with my husband, Ryan, and uh, it's called Next Level Voice Demos. Um, we actually started producing them back when we lived in Seattle. Oh, wow. We, we started producing them about six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I had just started doing voiceover and I was looking for a voiceover producer in Seattle and I couldn't find one that I liked and that wasn't, you know, over $3,000. Right. And I was like, well, if I'm going to pay that much money, I want to at least know it's really good. And I didn't like the sound of theirs. So, um, and because my husband is a composer and audio engineer, I was like, well, let's figure this out and start doing it. And then I started getting a lot of attention on my demo and people asking us to produce theirs. And so we learned a lot. And then when we came to LA, we got hooked up with a place called the VO Dojo. And they were looking for a demo producer to send their students to. And our processes meshed up pretty close. So we've been doing it here in L.A. too. So it's been great. Awesome. And have you always made sure actors have proper recording equipment so you could produce their demos digitally? Now we do. So um, we've done a bunch of different stuff. So before, you know, COVID and everything, if the actors are in L.A. where we are, we would bring them into our home studio to record. Mm-hmm. So that way we can control the um, the sound quality and make sure it's good. Right. We've also worked with remote clients all over the country. Like we have a lot of clients in New York and Chicago and uh, the Carolinas. And we have a lot of re- uh, a really great relationship with a lot of different studios all over the country. And so for our remote clients, if they don't have a really good home studio already, we would refer them to those places and they would record in the studios there with us directing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that COVID has happened, we've been helping our clients uh, up their home studios and like get them to a good place. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Um, and as far as copy for demos, do you create them yourselves or pull from existing copy? Oh, no. We would never do that. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> that makes me very... Uh, so Ryan, my husband, came from a casting background when we were in Seattle. And he would listen to a lot of demos and you would hear the same copy over and over again. And it's mm. like, of course, all these people didn't do this spot. And so it 
it was one of the ways that it would help him uh, weed out demos because a lot of people have really good demos. A lot of people are good voice talent and you just have to find something to get rid of their demo. And it's like, oh, that's distracting. Next. Right. Um, so in our process, what we do is we take time up front to talk about the actor's goals. Where do they want to be? Do they want to be, are they more of a regional client? Are they more of a national client? What's their experience level? Where do they fit in the marketplace? Do they have an agent? Are they trying to get with a specific agent? And we take all that information in and write original copy based on where their voice fits in the marketplace today. Nice. So, you know, if you're a super peppy, upbeat kind of person, I'm not going to give you something super serious and like meant for a person who's like 30 years older than you. Um, so we, so we like to be very targeted and very specific. And with the scripts that we're writing, we match the, the brand's current branding. So it all fits together. Our whole goal is when someone hears your demo and they hear the spot, it feels familiar. And it's like, oh, I've, I think I've heard that. I didn't know you did that spot. And it's like, we didn't, but it does feel like <laughs> I did, didn't it? Ha ha. And, and it doesn't, and that way for casting, it doesn't become distracting of like, oh, I cast that spot. I didn't cast you. So. Right. That's a good point. And it must be super helpful for clients that your husband's an audio engineer and you have an acting background. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you hear in demos that are like common mistakes that show that an actor is green? Yes. Uh, there's quite a few. Um, I think a lot of people, when they make, if they make their own demo, they don't realize sonically how radio and television commercials sound just from a mix and production standpoint. Hmm. So just hearing something from the get-go, nine times out of 10, you can tell immediately, even before the performance, whether it's homemade or not. Oh, wow. um, a lot of mistakes that we have seen with people is doing a lot of announcer stuff because the market right now wants real conversational non-announcery. It's okay to have one or two announcer things in there, but casting directors and agents, especially for your first spot in your demo, they want a real conversational, like, who are you? Right. What, what, is, what is your brand? What do you bring to our commercial? Um, another no-no is character voices in your demo, if it's a commercial demo. For a commercial demo now, like the trend five, 10 years ago, totally different. But now when you put on a character voice, it makes the uh, casting director or agent be like, oh, you're not comfortable being yourself. I don't understand. What is this? One of the most things we've seen when we have new clients is their old demos have a lot of character voices or accents that aren't natural. Right. That's super hard for people that come from a character background to realize because obviously they want to showcase their range. But like you said, with a commercial demo, it's um, important that you showcase you and just like different versions of you instead of a wide range of inauthentic voices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with commercial demos specifically, it's really like, what would you bring to this person's project? Are you like super peppy and kind of snarky? Like, is that kind of your vibe? How can we explore that more and go way in depth with that? Or are you just super warm and cuddly and just like someone you just want to hug? Um, And becoming comfortable doing that. Oh, and with animation demos, one thing that we have found um, that is kind of surprising is when people pull copy directly from shows that are well-known, and they do a similar voice. It's like, well, 
they already have that that person and I know it's not you. Right. <laughs> so that's that's a surprising thing. Oh, and also there's so many things. There's, I'm just <laughs> like, oh yeah. With any type of demo, animation, video game, or commercial, uh, one thing we've heard over the years is sometimes the production will overtake the actor. At the end of the day, it should be all about your voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, your voice is the most important. And so you don't want something production-wise competing with your voice or overtaking your voice. Your performance as an actor should sell the spot and then the production just supports it, not the other way around. That wraps up my interview with Brittany Cox. Along with just her awesome life story, here are some tips to learn from. Tip number one, say yes to opportunities that bring you into the unknown. Brittany said yes when she was asked to hop into the booth for the first time, and it completely changed her life for the better. Be like Brittany. Tip number two, remember to play more. It's good to think about the specs and tone, but don't let your own joy get lost in the auditioning process. And three, if you're thinking of recording a voiceover demo soon, listen to the last seven minutes of this podcast over and over again. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up.